with you, and I'm, I want to let you know that it's not a joke, because uh, I thought, man, when I get to the end of this, they're not going to laugh. They're going to think that that was a really bad joke, okay? So it's not a joke, but it is a story, and the story uh, goes that there were these two farmers. They're, they were older guys, and they'd been farmers for a long time, and they were neighbors, and over the course of time, they had, uh, had this feud. They were angry, angry with each other, and this feud had been going on for years now. And uh, they hadn't spoken to each other for quite some time. And the whole thing got started over a cat. Uh, this stray cat came along, and both of these farmers uh, began to uh, feed this cat and kind of claiming it as their own. And from there, everything went downhill. And uh, the neighbors quit talking, and the grudge escalated to the point where one of the farmers, one of the neighbors built a ditch because he wanted to divide their property line. So... You know, I guess that meant that they weren't neighbors anymore or something. I don't know. But he wanted to, to reroute a, a spring so that there would be this gap between their properties. And one day a carpenter came along and visited and, and knocked on the door of one of the farmers. And, and, he, and he, he was looking for work. And so the one farmer said, well, you know what? If, if he wants to divide us by building a ditch, I'm just going to finish the deal. If you will build me a wall, I just want a big old fence, a big tall fence that goes the entire distance of the property line. If you will build that, then I won't ever have to look at him again. And the carpenter said, okay, I, I can do that for you, but uh, I'll need more wood. You don't have an, enough wood here uh, in your barn for me to do that, uh, so I need more wood. So the farmer said, fine, I'll go to town and get more wood. So he left to go get the wood, and the carpenter began to build with the wood that was in the barn. And when the farmer came driving back down the old dirt road and he looked across his field, across the pasture there, he didn't see a fence going up. But what he had saw was that carpenter had built a bridge over the little creek that that ditch had formed. And instead of the barrier he wanted, um, he saw this bridge. And as he got there, there at the bridge, across the bridge, came walking his neighbor, the farmer with an outstretched hand. And he said, you're a brave man. He said, I never thought that you would ever want to hear my voice again. Can you forgive me? And the first farmer was taken aback, but he, he held out his hand to shake hands with his neighbor, and he found him saying, ah, I knew that was your cat all along. And that story is a story that Singer-writer David Wilcox uses to introduce a song that he wrote and that he sings. And the song is called Fearless Love. And the song goes on to weave in uh, to the story. Another part of the narrative of the song is about this church and this protest in a church and a person that got caught up in it. And the person is remembering Jesus' teaching to his disciples on loving one another and how they should go about loving one another, and the song goes into the part of where uh, Jesus was instructing his disciples that if a Roman soldier, a despised Roman soldier, asks you to carry his pack a mile, go ahead and carry it too. The chorus to that song says this, Fearless love makes you cross the border. The love that Jesus embodied in our world is indeed fearless love. The love of Jesus defies and overcomes any fear that we should have. And today as we continue our journey through this series, we want to focus on that love, 
the love that Jesus brought as he came as a baby into this world. And love not only that he brings into the world, but the love that Jesus brings into our lives as well. And so far in this series, uh, Ron has focused on different attributes of God through this Advent season that we're experiencing. And, and Ron has talked about the hope and the peace and the joy that we can get out of this Christmas season. And today we're going to focus on love. Now, as we've journeyed through uh, this series, we've been taking a look at the people who were the participants in the nativity, um, the nativity scene, the nativity story. And we've dug kind of deep into the experience or the process of usually one individual, maybe a couple when we're talking about, you know, um, um, you know even uh, at the very beginning, you know, um, Jesus' parents and, and Jesus' relatives and things like that as they come along. But I'd like to take a little bit different approach today. And I'd like to look at almost all of the people who gathered together at that uh, first nativity scene. At the nativity story. Because when we do, we're going to realize that Jesus' birth brought together a great divide. A divide in many different ways. A divide of many different stories. A divide of many different people that he brought together through the love that he brought in that first Christmas um, and his birth. If we walk through the story in order, we go all the way back and we start off as Ron did in this series with Zechariah and Elizabeth and with Mary and Joseph. And in just those people alone, we get the old and we get the new or the young. And, and intertwined in all of that, we get the prophets and the covenants of old, but at the same time, we'll, we get the fulfillment of the promise of a new spiritual life as well. And then, as we proceed through the whole scene and the whole story, all of a sudden we come across the shepherds and the angels, kind of almost at the same time or close to the same time. And that gives us the beings on earth and the beings in heaven, it gives us the physical but also the spiritual. And as they all head to the stable, all of a sudden we get these animals and these humans and we get all of these things that God created all brought in together at this manger scene. And it's at this point in the story, if we follow the story in Matthew, uh, that we get the account of the Magi and we get to meet the Magi. And we're not entirely sure who the Magi were or what they represented but we do know that they followed a star for a very long distance just in order to be able to come to the Messiah and to be able to worship the promised Messiah. There are some scholars that think that, think that the Magi came all the way from China. At any rate, whether they're astrologers or whether they're some kind of rulers, we get all kinds of pictures of them and thoughts of them. This is what we know. The Magi were noble and they were wealthy individuals who demonstrate God bridging even more divides as he brings things together. Because you see, the, the magi are the esteemed opposite to the lowly shepherds. Again, that divide. But more importantly, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles. And their inclusion in Jesus' birth story echoes the radical idea that Christ the Messiah brings salvation and restoration 
to all people. The cast of characters that God assembled for the arrival of his son here on earth is far from the expectations that we probably would have had for such an event. And I know that it had to be even farther from the expectations of the people in that day and of that time. The people who lived and breathed within a culture who had to live in those divides, who had to live in the controversy, who had to live in those contrasts and divisions. To us, the nativity story and the people gathered might seem pretty much of a ragtag bunch. But to them in that day, it was downright blasphemous that some of these people would be gathered together. It was blasphemous that the Messiah would have to be born in such a lowly place as the stable. Could Jesus have united in any other way, in any more way, the divisions by simply being born? I don't think so. He pretty much covered them all. And in doing so, God revealed several things that he wants us to know about love. And I want to dive into a few of those things today. So the first one is this. Christ is love embodied. The Bible talks about love in many places. The Bible tells us that God is love. The Bible itself is God's love story to us and to all humanity. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning of creation... God made people and he wanted to share experiences with them. He, he made people so that he could have relationships with his people. He wanted to hang out with his people all the way back in the garden. And then when sin entered the world, as it did, bringing death and brokenness, bringing separation from such a close companionship with God, he was relentless. He wouldn't give up. He started planning other ways in order to bring us back to him. And through generation after generation, God has worked his plans. And he promised at that point in time a Messiah that would be a way to restore the relationship that we can have with God. He gave us a way. And that way is Jesus, who's described as the groom and the church as his bride. And this relationship with God that he brings us into is a relationship of love. It is a, a reunion with love itself. John the Apostle eloquently describes the love of God in the fourth chapter of his letter in 1 John. It reads this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does, not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. 
he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love, of, the love God has for us. John tells us that God is love. Love is his nature. And he's shown it by sending his son, Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, giving our lives to him, we are restored in that love. We are reconciled to that love. We re-experience that love. We're fulfilled in love. We live in him. The Bible says he lives in us and fills us with that love. That love fills us, but it also fuels us. It gives us what we need. It calls us and enables us to love one another. And that brings us to our second point. Love defines and propels us. Jesus brought this reconnection and restoration to love when he entered the world. And near the end of his earthly ministry, he's with his 12 disciples and they're, they're at that last Passover meal together. And Jesus tells them this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and as he's teaching his disciples, he wants to make sure that they love as he has loved. And here's the important part. How will people know that they're followers of Jesus? By the love that they show to one another. I mean, I know you've heard this before, but there's that, that out there, how will they know that we're Christians? There's a song. How will they know they're Christians? By our love. By our love. You see, love is what defines us. Love is our label as Christians. We put on clothes that have the Nike swoosh or the Adidas or what. We put on clothes and, and those clothes in that company say, these are our clothes. This is the best that we have to offer you. For us as Christians, we put on that label. And we are, our label is love. And the people around us should know that we are Christians simply by the way we love one another. It marks us. It characterizes us. And the truth is, the church hasn't always been good at it. We haven't always done a great job of this. And we as the church body don't always do a good job. And we can sit here and it's easy for us to point the finger at some pretty big wrongs or wrongdoings that the church has made throughout history. And we can probably think of people that have been in the news and, and public Christians and churches in our time who have done things that make us want to cringe and be angry and almost embarrassed at their rigid, unloving actions. But we, this morning, we also have to look at ourselves. We also have to take a look in the mirror. And of course, none of us are perfect. But as individuals, we're not perfect. But as a collective church, we're not perfect. 
But each of us can certainly find some opportunities during this Christmas season. And in our current culture, the climate that we live in, find some ways to allow God's love to flow through us. And on that note, we move to our third point, and it is this. Love empowers us to cross the borders. Wow. These are pretty divided times we live in, are they not? There's divisions everywhere we turn around. It seems like our culture, our nation, our world, people in general have multiplied the ways to divide us. It seems like the us versus the them is relevant in everything that we talk about anymore and everything that we do. And it's by no means an excuse, but the truth is that throughout history, our world has been filled with wars. Our world has been filled with oppression and plunder. There have been ways that, and times, always, where there have been the weak and there have been the powerful. There have always been the haves and the have-nots. There's always been too much of us versus them. All the way back in times and in Jesus' time and certainly, sadly, that's still the case today. But get this. It's the very reason why Jesus' teaching was so radical. It's why God's love is so radical. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verses 43 and 44, Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth. He continuously chose to reach across the chasm of separation and exclusion. He continued to build the bridge instead of the wall. He befriended the hated tax collectors and even asked one of them, Matthew, to be one of his 12 disciples. He spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, which broke all kinds of cultural taboos. For one, Jews shouldn't be talking to Samaritans like they were having their conversation. Two, a man shouldn't be talking to a, a, a Samaritan woman in, in mid-daylight like he was doing. He also told his listeners that if a dreaded Roman soldier forced you to carry his pack for a mile, which is what soldiers were by law allowed to do and they did do, he told him to carry it two miles instead. And one of Jesus' most powerful stories about this kind of unexpected love in action is the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, you know how it goes. A traveler was robbed. He was beaten and left to die on the side of the road. And along comes the priest. And the priest sees him, so he goes to the other side of the road so that he doesn't have to deal with it. Doesn't even have to look at it. Kind of turns his head so he can't even see it. And then kind of an assistant priest along the way comes and does the same type of thing. And finally, the third person comes along, and it's a Samaritan 
The Samaritan comes along and he sees the man and he stops to help him. The Samaritan bandaged his wounds. The Samaritan put him on his donkey. The Samaritan delivered him to the innkeeper at the inn. The Samaritan paid the innkeeper to take care of the man until he could return. It was the Samaritan. The one that the Jews despised. The one that the Jews didn't see eye to eye with. That Jesus decided to use as his example of love. It's a good and challenging story for all of us. But it had to be absolutely astounding to the people listening to Jesus tell the story at the time. Because Jews did hate the Samaritans. Their their racism against the Samaritans went back centuries. All the way back to the division of the kingdom of Israel. The Samaritans were the ones who intermarried with foreigners. The Samaritans had established their own temple and their own way of worship. The Jews considered the the Samaritans to be an inferior race and that they had their own corrupt religion. And they viewed them with prejudice and they viewed them with disdain. But this is who Jesus is lifting up as an example of loving our neighbor. Jesus was crossing the divide. He reached across the cultural, the spiritual, the political, and the racial divisions. And today, as we gather in here, he's asking us to do the same. He was illustrating that kind of love in John when it, again, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, illustrating that kind of love when he said this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, Jesus' love is fearless. It's a fearless love. That calls us and enables us to cross those borders. It it causes us and enables us to get through the divide. It causes us and enables us to reach out in love to those that we don't see eye to eye with. To reach out above the disagreements. Love overcomes the fear of others. Who are the others? Those people who may not look like us. Those people who may not sound like us. Those people who don't have the same opinions that we have. Those people who don't share the same perspective that we have. Those people who haven't had the same experiences that we have. And maybe, just maybe, reaching across that divide today begins in your family. Maybe in your home, or in your neighborhood, or in your workplace, or in our community. Because Jesus at Christmas, and really at all times, calls us together in his loving presence. And he invites us to make a place and make room 
for all, for everyone, whether we think they deserve it or not. There's a humility in love, a willingness to put somebody else first. And sometimes love means taking the first step of building that bridge. That bridge that would be that gesture or an invitation to get through the divide. Sometimes it's being willing to listen and not defend. It's willing to be able to choose to see someone else as not the other, but as us. Equally loved by God, equally welcomed into his presence, equally drawn into his miraculous, divine, all-consuming love. This is God's love. This is the gift of Christmas. It's the heart of Christmas. So this week, as we rapidly approach Christmas Day, I invite and challenge all of us to rediscover Christmas by rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-welcoming love of God. Where can you build bridges this week and not walls. I'd like to close with this from Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19, and use it as a benediction today. It reads this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray.